All right, welcome to episode 38 of Seize the Moment Podcast. And today we have for the second time a very special guest. We have Gordon Marino. He's a philosophy professor and author, and he's the author of The Existentialist Survival Guide. And today we're going to talk about his article on the New York Times. Are you listening? Hey, Gordon. Welcome back to the show, man. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. Good to see you again. Absolutely. So, guys, today I want to start off with a quote from Gordon's article, the one that we just mentioned, Are You Listening? On the new, well, pretty much the New York Times article, Are You Listening? And so, what's so cool about it, well, let me just kind of read the quote and then we'll talk about it. So, Gordon wrote, Good listening is not a matter of technique, but of having the willingness to enter into another person's life. Many bad listeners can't be there for someone because they're too locked into themselves. For them, everything has to be filtered through their own experience and concerns. And so, like, for me, that that's such a powerful quote because I think that's pretty much the barrier for pretty much how, like, we communicate, right? And kind of the main barrier between the way we, I guess, are existentially isolated from one another. Even though, obviously, kind of in reality, we are isolated in some sense, right? But this is kind of the way that we keep barriers between ourselves in the sense of not being able to communicate with one another. And so my question is for you, Gordon. How did you kind of pick up on that? How did you sort of see that um, or see this sort of fatal flaw in listening? Well, it really came to me because I had a, had a student that I, uh, from who actually actually came from Northfield and went to St. Olaf. I used to train as a boxer and very very uh, gifted student. And all of a sudden, he's falling apart and uh, comes in to see me and uh, basically flunked out of school. And uh, he was just out of law. What's going on? He, and I'd ask him what's going on, and he was just complete confusion about his inner life. Yeah. He couldn't yeah. say. He just sat there with head hanging. He goes, "I don't know." They told me I'm anxious. They told me I'm depressed. You know. But and and I realized that this is a kid who's you know was a uh, was mo- single parent home mom worked two two jobs uh, that was very had, had been listened to very little as a kid and uh, had now had a hard time listening to himself getting clear coughing up what he was feeling yeah. you know yeah. and that, that's when it struck me what a what a what what a blessing it is to uh, uh, to be someone who's who's had people listen to them which I have I've had yeah. and. Yeah. Um, and how many millions and millions of people in the world uh, don't have that? Like, there's some. I have a few students who are from been in refugee camps for ten years, and I mean, they, you, you don't go home and say, "Well, geez, I was getting teased today," or oh, "I have this dream," you know, this or that. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody wants to hear about it. You know, and and so uh, how important it is to be heard, and how it how, how it puts you into a different relationship with yourself. That's the idea that our relationship with others is, is internalized in, as a relationship with ourselves. And, yeah. And, and so what did you mean by when you said that it's kind of filtered through our own projections when we try to listen to someone or I guess don't really try to listen to someone? Yeah, we tend, there's a tendency to relate everything to yourself. I, I think, mm-hmm. you know, if you're so like, I'm going through a breakup. Well, I went through that too, or Joe went through that, or you're like, uh, you're like, you're like Tom, you know, or, you know, they're just, as opposed to just taking the other person's reality in trying to, and, and uh, so I, I think there's a tendency to do that, just to relate everything to yourself at some level. Mm-hmm. Well, that's like me. We're all we're all different. And sometimes those situations, yeah, you, you want to say this isn't about you; it's about me. Yeah. To be able to open up and listen. And I, as I mentioned in the article, I think awkwardness has you know, people. There's a sense of I don't know. I don't know what to say. It's awkward situations that being able to deal with awkwardness. You know, like uh, as I said, I mentioned I have a friend who's on his deathbed right now. It's been there for ten days from uh, uh, cirrhosis of the liver, yeah. and. Uh, it's just so, you know, everyone's kind of playing around that don't know what to say and don't know, you know, it's, it's uh, so uh, in order to be a good listener, you've got to be able to deal with awkwardness, I think. Yeah, yeah you got to be there with that tension. Like, it's yeah. okay if it's awkward. Uh, it's better if the person feels like they're actually being listened to. Um, for example, I believe in the article, there was this um, girl who was talking about her uh, yeah. her friend who committed suicide. Right, and right. Of course, um, you know, you don't know what to say sometimes in those situations. Or even sometimes maybe you could tell them to move on or... or ha- and by the way, you don't say that right away, obviously. Yeah, yeah I know. You're, yeah, you're yeah. right. But yeah. yeah you, or there's a greater plan or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, or there's a bigger picture. But in that moment, what, did she really want to hear something like that? Or did she just want to feel like somebody is there for her to listen to how she's feeling right now? Yeah. Like to, to her pain. This way, she feels like she can be vulnerable and kind of let some of that emotion out, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're just given the solution, I mean, that's good too, but then you don't really end up staying and kind of like marinating in what's what you're feeling. Yeah, that, That's a good image. And, and, and there, is, there, there is no solution because a lot of these aren't questions or problems, right? I mean, it's not, it's not like, you know, this is some kind of math question. Yeah. 
There is no solution. And uh, yeah, people, people, we, we want to be. Uh, they want us to be with them to, uh, in in their pain. We want that people to hear us. Yeah, I feel it. Yeah, plus that. What's well, an expression of? And sometimes you hear, "I feel you." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah right? I say and that a lot. <laughs> from a few years back, at least, it was a pretty popular expression. Mike Tyson used it with me at one time. I feel you. You know, yeah. and that's that's a beautiful way of saying I'm hearing. Yeah. yeah. And so, do you guys feel like like when people kind of try to do that, when they just zero in on problem solving, that the pretty much the point is for them to kind of disconnect themselves from any form of empathy or from trying to empathize with the person scenario? Maybe. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Yeah, what do you think, Gordon? Yeah, when they try to do that, um, yeah, well, again, I think it's a mistake to think of all these things as, as problems that need a solution. Uh, uh, but the, they're having a hard time dealing with the vulnerability of not knowing what to say, not knowing how to comfort the person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's uh, so uh, not, not being able to deal with that awkwardness. Yeah. 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 And it's a lot, of, a lot in life like that. And you know what I sometimes find, like, um, not so much in my field, so I'm sure you guys know, obviously, I'm a therapist. So, like, um, when I deal with psychiatrists, a lot of times when they just pretty much, and by the way, I'm not anti-psychiatry, I just want that to be clear. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, like, when uh, when I deal with psychiatrists, a lot of times, they'll pretty much give them a chemical explanation as to what's going on in their yeah. brains, and they'll yeah. just say, here, just take this medication. And the person is sitting there, and they're like, oh, well, you know, like, I really want to go through my experience, and I kind of want to tell you, like, why I'm feeling these things. Right. And the psychiatrist will, will do one or two things a lot of times. They'll either say, no, 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 don't don't worry, the medication will take care of that. Or they'll say, yeah, or they'll say, go see my therapist, right? Like, I'm not the person to have this conversation with. I know. And that, so that's got to be frustrating. Yeah. That's really frustrating. Because so you turn to, to the psychiatrist for some help and some empathy and everything. And no, we just need to adjust your chemicals. And that, that's, uh, that's, that's really messed up, I think. Yeah, and I mean, so bigger picture-wise, I think maybe that's kind of the major problem that a lot of us, and look, I get it that it comes from a point of like fear, right? It's very hard to empathize with somebody because you're afraid of being in their shoes and actually feeling their pain, right? It's scary, but I mean, yeah. but it's different for psychiatry, it's literally your profession. But I think that that kind of speaks to the bigger picture of what's going on, that a lot of people struggle with kind of, with, well, they struggle with actually listening, and this is sort of my conception of it. Um, so they struggle with listening because for them, they're too afraid to feel other people's pain. Yeah, 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 and that's why uh, I mentioned in the article that it's not just uh, people that are, it's just a, not just a financial issue or whatever. It's a it's plenty of rich kids you don't have whose parents can't tolerate listening to their kids' pain or don't know what to do with it, and they just freeze up and they withdraw. Or if you you tell mom or dad that you're feeling really bad, they they crumble. So all kinds of reasons why people shut down like that, you know, uh, and. We need to make an effort to, when we're going through stuff, but also to make an effort to, you must know this all the time as a therapist. I'm sure there's days where you feel out of sorts and you got to make an effort to open your ears, right? Yeah. Open, yeah, open your heart. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, yeah. so this way there's no uh, counter transference, right? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned in your article, right? Like sometimes yeah. the therapist brings their own like uh, neuroses or their yeah. own problems or desires into the session. Yep. And the way that you'd be a good therapist is if you could kind of get out of your own way to kind of let the other yeah. person's world. Be aware and, to be aware of those things, I think. is. I mean, you can never get over all the counter-transference, but the awareness of it's really important. Yeah. You know, you know. And I think sometimes the counter-transference is a defense too, right? So it's like if let's say you're seeing somebody or not even I guess as a therapist but just as a human being and that person's kind of trying to tell you their story. Like we judge, right? So judging is like this huge thing for us as human beings, right? Yeah. And we yeah. do it like that, right? Sort of these snap judgments. And then so if a person starts telling us their story, automatically we find a way to kind of blame them, right? So if a person says, I'm struggling with this, like, oh, well, what was your role in this, right? Like I remember once there was – um, so there was a person um, – not really going to mention the person's name, whatever, it's not that important, but there was a person, like, who I told about, um, I told her, like, what my childhood was like, and I was mm-hmm. telling her that, like, when I was a kid, like, you know, my dad, like, yelled at me for no reason, like, just literally, he would come home, and he would find something to be upset at, so it was pretty much like a damned if I do or damned if I don't, right, it yeah. didn't really matter what I did, he would really find a way, anytime to be angry with me, mm-hmm. so I told this person that, and her response was like, oh, but, like, what did you do to deserve it, literally, just like that, right, it's like, automatically, the response is, what did you, yeah, what did you do to deserve it, right, and then, so, I think for her, pretty much, the struggle was, like, holy shit, like, he's gonna actually tell me something deep, right, and it's going to affect me. I mean, I don't know what's in her head, obviously. my I'll give her the benefit of the doubt, and I'll just say that my thinking is that she was just kind of too afraid to hear it, and it's much easier for her to take the blame, shift it on me, and say, okay, well, it's his responsibility and his fault. Yeah, and part of that issue about, I mean, there's a great great quote from uh, Camus, uh, mm-hmm. The Fall, when he goes, uh, a lot of it's about um, 
and the, the problem of uh, guilt in, a, in an age where there's no more forgiveness, and he and he's and it's all about judgment. And he goes, uh, you don't have to wait for the last judgment. It's happening every moment. You know that your our tendency to judge people and and to create narratives that we lock people into. You know, immediately we're we're narrative creatures, right? I think, right? And and we create these narratives very quickly about people that sometimes we need to step out of. Yeah. We need to yeah. be able to see things differently. You know. Um, yeah, because the the narrative is putting someone into a box. Yeah, and and then, you know, if if you put them in that box, you, you can't really any kind of behavior outside of it. You might not pay attention to, or yeah. you might not notice, or you might have a blind spot to. Right, that's right. And that's excellent. Yeah, and that yeah. prevents that actual uh, connection or actual understanding of that other person's world or their reality. Yep. Well, same thing. Yeah. Yep. Confirmation bias. That's perfect. That's literally it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. There's that um, that talk by uh, David Foster Wallace. This is water, or all is water. No, what's that? What uh, it's, a, it's a graduation speech he gave at Kenyon. That was absolutely beautiful. It was just uh, it talked a lot about that. About you know when you really uh, you get angry at somebody or whatever. To just just imagine you have no idea what's going on in their lives a lot of time. You know, and how, how common it is to remind ourselves that we don't know what's going on. I can't tell you how many times I've been pissed off at people and. And you found out, oh, you know, someone's so sick at home or whatever, and you know, mm-hmm. to, the, to the idea that we don't know what's going on with them, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I think that's important too. Yeah, and by the way, I mean, just because I feel like we should be as authentic as possible on the show, even with you, Gordon, man, like when we had the dialogue earlier in the morning, and I was kind of upset with you because I was like, wow, like, Gordon, yeah, I was wait. upset with you too, man. Yeah, I hear you. And then so, and, but the idea is when you told me what was going on with your friend, then I thought about it, and I was like, oh, okay, I get it. So, like, he has a lot going on. Send me a reminder. I got a lot, a lot of <laughs> And that was my reaction too. I was like, reminder? He wants a reminder? <laughs> the night before? <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, listen, I actually, I'm kind of, so I get what you're saying, mm-hmm. but I'm also with Gordon too. If it was like almost a month ago, the mm-hmm. communication, I, feel you. I hear you. I feel like it makes sense like a week before, a few days before. Yeah, or just, a few like, days. just a little, just a little, mm-hmm. I know yeah. it would have been tough to hit that. <laughs> Send a message. I know it would have been, yeah. And also like even, but, but it, which to some extent brings us this whole, whole issue of social media, mm-hmm. which is, I was thinking. Uh, you know, uh, which was supposed to bring us together and everything. It used to be when people had a, having a hard time, you'd call, call, or not even then, you just call in, check check on somebody, hear their voice. Mm-hmm. People don't do that anymore. Like, it's, you know, it's it's almost like a phone call is uh, sending a snail mail or something, you know? Yeah. It's So I, I think that's a big change, too, that people would just check. And it, do, you, do you notice that, um, uh, you must... I always notice that you can almost tell, you can almost hear the vibrations in a person's soul from their voice. You can tell where they're at. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Uh, when I talk to my friends, I, I can hear without the, the content of, you know, where they're at so, to some extent, you know, and how important voice is. Yeah. You know, and I think we're pretty much cut off from that. Now it's Instagram, WhatsApp, you know, and all that stuff, you know. I mean, the, 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 the horse has left the barn, right? But it's, it's social media's out there, but we're on it. Mm-hmm. But I, I think uh, it's, it takes more of an effort to reach out and, hey, what's going on? What, how are you doing? Yeah, most definitely, and I mean, it also seems like people. Uh, well, just one thing: uh, they're living busier lives. Yeah, no, that's so true. Li- living busier lives. I think people are busier than ever, man. It's not like most of the people I know; they're always on the go. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That's probably true. Yeah, and more things bombard you too. Yeah, but yeah, to, Gordon. To what you said, yeah, you could hear a lot in some in somebody's cadence in their tone. Yeah. Um, like kind of where they're coming at, like, uh, their, so, you know, their vibe, so to speak. Right. Like you could tell if somebody's kind of like feeling good, if they're not feeling so good, and then you could kind of gauge, you know, how to kind of adjust and kind of, uh, interact with them. Mm-hmm. Um, even what I like, what we just did before with you bringing up the whole scheduling thing mm-hmm. was cool. Start that again. <laughs> no, 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 no. But what's, <laughs> what's great it's about scary. it is... Is what you call it? We we did what was it called? Like uh, Saint Francis of Assisi he said, "Seek first to understand, yes. then to be understood." Right there, there's. It's like we had this kind of like he explained his side fully, and you explained your side fully, and then there was that act. There was some real listening happening there, mm-hmm. which is great because that's what the article is about. Mm-hmm. And then we actually ended up having more understanding from there, mm-hmm. and it's, it makes for like a good back oh, and shit. forth. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> no, it's definitely Gordon's fault. Well, 
Well, it's funny. One of the things, um, when I, as, a, as a professor, uh, mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time doing close readings in class, so really line-by-line readings, right? Mm-hmm. And my, I tell my students, this is an exercise, and this will make you a better friend, because uh, you have to... Um, well, what students will usually do is you, you take a line from Kierkegaard or whatever, or, and I was, what does this mean? And they'll go off on some big theory, right? I'll say, stick to the friggin' words. And I'll actually re- keep reading the sentence to them. And they won't even be looking at the words on the text. You know, because uh, uh, so my claim is that by practicing listening to the text, and I guess you got to understand this sentence. I want to hear about your great theories. Is uh, It's the same with listening to other people. It's practicing and, and kind of closing out everything. You know, uh, closing out your own own theories and everything like that. So that's one of the ways I preach about the importance of close readings, which is uh, a big big part of my teaching method. Yeah. And when did you first when did you first learn about the importance of listening? Like when did that strike you? Well, I was in you know uh, uh, I was in trouble all the time, but I had a lot of people. I mean, in jail, all kinds of stuff. And <clears throat> as I wrote in this piece in the New York Times a long time ago, the long conversation. Yeah, that was a really good one too. I remember that. Yeah, article. that was a really good article. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks, man. You're welcome. But, but <clears throat> I had someone. You know, she's been listening to me since I was 19, and I'm 67 now. We're still friends. We're friends, and mm-hmm. we talk almost a couple times a week. And so, um, but that also involved. I was also blessed enough basic trust, and so you know, you know what I mean. There's so part of, as you know this better. You know, as a therapist, uh, if, the, if the trust isn't there. It's it's uh, it's really difficult. It's 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 and a lot of people don't have that, and that's such an important part of the of of being listened to. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, like, I had this one kid I used to train and stuff, and was in a lot of trouble, kid at risk, and um, uh, maybe I told this story before, but you know he, he got in trouble in school, and I, I just just played the devil's advocate with him, and uh, uh, I said, uh, well, you know, he had an argument with the teacher, and I said, well, what was the teacher's point of view? And we, we finished. We finished uh, lunch, and he never talked to me again. Wow! So just to ask that question was uh, now I've, I lost his trust. Wow! And this is wow. after being together for months. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, well, yeah, so so trust is such an important issue. So to recognize when people don't have that, I guess as as a listener, you know, right? Uh, people haven't had that. Haven't had people haven't been there for him on a consistent basis. Mm-hmm. That's why, like with training with boxing, I find so useful in that sense because you know it's not that like there's just one season or something. You're there together every day, pretty much on your ups and downs, and uh, it, it involves it, it does this this kind of relationship, this bond that takes place. That's and it's also you're, you're dealing with these emotions that are very powerful, you know, yeah. anger and fear. And uh, so uh, I think consistency is a big issue, being there for people on a consistent basis. You know. Yeah. What would you say to that student? Like, if you ever saw him again, the the one who felt like he couldn't trust you anymore. But I mean, my my first impulse, I put my arm around him. Hey, what the fuck? What, what the fuck happened? What, yeah. what, Oh, yeah. well, what upset you so much? And I would curse. Yeah. Fortunately. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. I wonder if he thought that you were choosing sides and that automatically. He definitely, he definitely thought that. Yeah. Even though I'd been listening to his part of the story, and I just said, you know, what do you think was going on with the teacher? Yeah. Something like that. It wasn't even like I was taking the person's side. You know. Um, but but again, even in boxing, with, with, with uh, I have kids that are there a couple months of the whole life, blah blah blah, and also they disappear. Mm-hmm. So this is called object relations theory in psychoanalysis, as you know. Yeah. But you know, just recognizing people's different capacities for connectedness. Mm-hmm. Oh, can you talk about that a little bit? The objects relations, like what is that, and what does that mean? Well, relations is a measure of you know, it's, it's kind of a it's an analysis of your ability to stay connected, to form intimate connections with people, mm-hmm. you know, not treat them as objects, you know. Uh, and some people will use you to get by through a few months, and you know. Uh, to be there on a consistent basis and emotionally emotionally connected, and there's different and object relations theory, which is a you know one of the latest out a development of psychoanalysis, looks at analyzes that. You know? mm-hmm. How did what's this person's capacity for intimacy for connection? You know? and, that's and, why, for example, narcissistic personality disorder. Everybody's, I mean, that's the big term today. I think it's overused. You know, most so, definitely. Yeah, and. Uh, uh, but those people tend to treat others as just, you know, uh, people in their orbit that can shine a light on them and stuff like that, you know. Yeah. So what, how would you kind of define effective listening? What does that look like? Uh, how would I define effective listening? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> okay, my first image is holding hold hands with somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, being there with them, you know, being there with them. Uh, being together with them, taking them in, taking the reality in without imposing a, 
a narrative structure on it right away without making judgments and without trying to rush in with some. As a coach, I have a tendency to do this, I do that, do this. You know, so I, can't, I mean, it's like if I see somebody on the street and walking the dog, I'll coach them how to walk the dog. It's a mania, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so. Uh, again, this this idea of being being there with him, being, uh, and that's why I like holding hands. Technohan said, "We're all holding hands, walking home." That's a phrase I use, maybe too much, but I, I feel that a lot. You know, mm-hmm. that's what that's the that's the kind of person I aim to be. Yeah. And what sort of relationships do you think effective listening fosters? Like, what does it turn into them? Well, a, lot, a, lot, you know, a sense of connection, a sense of being there together. Like, does I think of like uh, in life? Uh, Especially with all the rough things that happen, I, I see it all as a one image I always have is <clears throat> being at sea. We're all in these lifeboats, and we try to stay you try to stay together. And as the hard times come, people just separate off, shrink, and go. We need these affiliations. We need each other. Yeah. You know, we really need each other. And uh, that, that's uh, that that's that's that that's what I think comes of it. And so having been there for each other. And it seems like kind of people struggle with that bigger picture that a lot of times, especially when it comes to kind of more selfish behavior. And of course, I mean, obviously, we're going to be selfish sometimes. I mean, there's just a part of being a human being. It's okay. It's necessary. But for the people who are like more, I guess, in the long term, more selfish, the thing is they don't really see the sort of bigger picture of their effects on their relationships. So the idea might be, okay, so I'll get something from this person now, whether it's, you know, kind of recognition, validation, or something even physical, right? But I kind of won't really think about it down the line, how that's going to keep affecting the person if I consistently do this over and over again without giving them anything in return so a lot of times like people who are super selfish i mean unfortunately they do struggle with that bigger picture and then kind of when they lose people in their lives they're like i don't understand like what did i do wrong it's like yeah because you're not like thinking about how it's actually affecting the other person yeah yeah well that's one of the things that's that's come home to me with this friend um dying Mm -hmm. is the interdependency of our lives um for example when he he, he's dying the, the whole world's revolving around him everybody's life's affected you know and um, it, it made me, uh, I drink a few beers a day, man. I've, I've cut way back now. Yeah. You know, because, uh, yeah, that, that uh, you're, you're well, the same with suicide. Like, uh, it's, a, it's a really great book. You, you, probably, you heard of it. Um, it's called Stay by um, a woman named Hecht. She's really good. She's a poet and philosopher. But her claim is that suicide is not a victimless crime because of the tendency to imitate. Right. You know, that there's always, I mean, apart from all the damage you do to the people you leave behind, mm-hmm. even if you don't have people behind, there's a tendency to imitate, like families in which suicide runs in families a lot. And so this this um, brush with my this this, this uh, event with my friend is uh, really brought it home to me that, man, we are all connected. we got to take care of ourselves. To, to We can't just abuse ourselves because other people depend on us. Yeah, absolutely. You know? and, and we got to be preemptive, too. Like if you see somebody... You know, if you see signs that they're depressed yeah. or that something's going on, like I feel like everyone around them who cares about them should have their head on a kind of like a swivel. Like, That's be very vigilant. Yeah. 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 Um, Speak up. Yeah. Yeah. There were some friends I've had before that uh, I saw signs of that. And then we'd have conversations and that kind of steered them away from like sort of a darker path. Oh. Uh-huh. Um, yeah and yeah so i mean it it happens um but yeah that's that's why you got to be around for each other sometimes if you're like fully isolated and then you're kind of left with your own thoughts and the automaticity of that and just kind of all these uh you know feedbacks like negative feedback loops mm-hmm. and nobody's really there to kind of like shake you out of it or there's no external stimulus to kind of like interrupt you mm-hmm. then usually you're stuck unless unless you have somebody who kind of notices what's going on with you that's why it's important not to be isolated um and be around people yeah and i'm sure you to the people in pain is, is withdrawal a lot of times right i mean that's the withdrawal is a big thing and to be able to reach through that that curtain that comes over people is important and yeah that's right to be to have your head in a swivel and and looking for signs like that yeah yeah yeah, yeah uh, i'll notice for example if one of my friends uh doesn't want to hang out for a long time something like that they just want to be alone on one level, uh, you want to let them be alone because sometimes uh, if you're isolated, you have time to think about things and yeah. all that. But then other times, you it's hard to tell like if it's because of that or are they kind of is, are things getting worse? And then you might want to try to reach out to them instead of leaving them to their own devices mm-hmm. and, and all that. So yeah. it depends. Uh, I guess you, you just have to really have like a sharp eye for this kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah. and you got to care. Uh, there's an inner eyes, a great line in um, 
you know, Ralph Ellison, a beautiful book, Invisible Man, but uh, you know, it's like this. There's this inner eye that controls how we how we see the world, mm-hmm. and, and we got to care. And how do what, what do we do? And and so one of the chores in life is is there's plenty of times where we're fucked up and don't care. Don't you know that kind of mood? At least I get that place. Same. And, I, I have to. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, oh, fuck it. You know. Uh, and and uh, what do we do in those? Well, if you and if you don't care, you can't listen, right? Right? Or uh, or you get in a place where uh, sometimes um, you know you're feeling bad and shit, and and uh, oh, so and so thinks they got it bad. Well, uh, you blah blah blah. You know, it's kind of uh, competition and suffering or something. But but you got to care, and, and so sometimes you got to wake that care up in ourselves. Mm-hmm. Don't you? That, 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 that I think is really important in life. There's times when you're feeling that you don't, you're not there, you don't care. So, uh, wake up, man. Wake up. Yeah. And maybe even remind yourself of the value, right? Of why sort of generosity or why compassion is important. Yeah. 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 Also, yeah, like when you notice, uh, like the times I had where it's not like I, I wouldn't say like fully didn't care, but it's just like the fire wasn't there like how yeah. it was before. Yeah. And then I would kind of notice that in myself. I'm like, what happened? Like, what happened to me? I used to think like this. Like, what's what's going on? Is it just something new? Or did I let myself kind of, like, stop kind of, I don't know, um, caring? Or did I get too comfortable or something like that? And I got to shake things up again to mm-hmm. kind of get back into, like, that older way of thinking? Or is this something new? Blah, blah, blah. I have to start to thinking about it. Sorry, to start to think about it, right? To mm-hmm. see where I'm at with it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I feel like you yeah, sometimes you have to be like, you have to push yourself to uh, care too if you notice that all of a sudden you stopped. Yeah. yeah. It's like my man Kurt Vonnegut says, uh, be careful who you pretend to be because you are who you pretend to be. And so there's times when you got to fake it till we make it, right? So yeah, uh, the times when if you, you're, you might have some shit, stuff going on in your life that makes it very difficult to get outside yourself. Yeah. But you need to fade. You need to. You need to go through the motions, and uh, and usually it'll awaken. It'll awaken that your heart. But if it doesn't, you're still there. You know, you gotta. Sometimes you gotta fake it. You must know that. I mean, as a therapist, you gotta know that. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. absolutely. And yeah. so it's it's kind of interesting. I mean, I I kind of have a thread that I want to go to. I, obviously, you guys, we because this is kind of a little bit of a different topic, but I do want to know sure. what you guys would think about this. So um, the way I kind of see it, or the way I let's say kind of conceptualize it for myself and even my clients, is that like so all of us are human beings, right? So obviously, it's because we're all human beings, we all have these sort of tendencies, right, to do really shitty things, right, for ourselves, or I guess toward ourselves and toward other people, right? Like it's kind of natural to be selfish, right? It's natural to be that. Asshole. It's natural to be irritated when you haven't slept. It's natural to be irritated when you're packed on the train, right? It's natural to be irritated and angry when you're feeling like shit about yourself. So the idea is that like if if let's say if you conceptualize it that way, if you can learn to have empathy with yourself or for, toward yourself and understand that like look, you're gonna you're gonna fuck up and you're gonna have bad days because yeah. we all do, right? So the idea is then that kind of self-criticism shifts. It goes from like now I can accept this feedback, not as sort of um like not as something that's shameful for me, not as something that's like, oh my god, like an assault on my character. So it's like it's not Alan, you piece of shit, you like didn't call me in the morning, you didn't do da 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 da, right? So then it becomes like, oh yeah, well I like kind of the dialogue we had earlier, right? So so it's like I was upset with you because here are all of these different things that I'm going through. And then the other person can kind of in turn say, oh, well, I'm going through these things. Well, something similar, right? Or I'm going through these other things. And so kind of what I'm saying or what I'm trying to say is that when it comes to self-empathy, I think it goes hand in hand with self-criticism. So with criticism, the idea is that like, look, I'm a human being and I'm fucking up and I'm doing these things that are probably negative for me and kind of for my relationships, right? But I also understand why I'm doing it. So on the one hand, I'm kind of taking responsibility or I'm sorry, on the one hand, I'm empathizing with myself but then on the other hand I'm taking responsibility to become a better person and so where I find that most people struggle when it comes to criticism is because um, like kind of with your student right I'm assuming in his mind it's like any sort of um any even hint of a criticism is sort of um, it's like a dagger sort of stabbing his yeah, character that yeah absolutely and so I think the idea is that if we can kind of frame it as okay you know no, I understand why you're like this right this makes so much sense right not only because you're a human being because you've gone through all of these experiences traumas etc but now right why it's so important for you to grow and why it's so important for you to take feedback is because you have to take the responsibility of being a better person right and it's not only going to help other people around you it's even as importantly going to help you too Mm-hmm. And so, what do you guys think? Yeah, 
Well, I think it's like I always like to think about the relationship between the way people talk to other people and the way they talk to themselves. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people that are oh, really kind and everything, and you know, they just you know they tear themselves apart. You know, so I think it's really important to treat yourself to talk to yourself as you would to a good friend. Yeah. You know, yeah. as you say, so you see yourself, you're you're you're, you're like some uh, pit bull on yourself. Some days, so just going at it, going at it, just sitting there calm. You, you know. Try to talk to yourself as you would to a friend in that situation. Right? Calm down. What's going on? What's this self, self terror, terror, terrorizing ourselves? You know that we get into yeah. that yeah. kind of thing. You know. And do you think that that's learned, like in those dialogues with other people, when let's say somebody actively listens to you and can just show compassion? Right. I don't mean yeah. just show compassion, but show yeah. compassion that you can kind of in turn say, "Oh, wow, this is actually what I'm supposed to be treated like," and maybe I could start doing this for myself. Maybe too. I could start treating myself that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm fucking up. I'm gonna, you know, wake up and uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that seems like it's one of the most important parts of listening, where it's like for you, the other person, and I mean for good and bad, right? So somebody could be kind of a negative mirror to you, like if obviously you have a hypercritical parent, or on yeah. the other hand, somebody could be a really positive mirror to you, where they could kind of show you the way you're supposed to be and kind of what you deserve as a human being. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 That's right. You know, do you guys think like that listening should just like be taught in schools, like something so simple? They'll turn it into a technique and there'll be apps for it and everything. That's true. That's Nobody true. It's a technique today. That's what I was trying to say in the article. It's a, it's not like some some technique uh, you, know, you learn. or. Uh, but I, I think, for example, telling students when they're not listening, mm-hmm. uh, I'll, I'll point out to students, I'm talking to you, you're looking off. You're looking off someplace else. Look, look, look at me. You know, uh, and we don't get people don't go out of their way to say stuff like that. Sometimes uh, they should. They, yeah, yeah, there's probably some stuff we could, you know, I, I think people can get some help. Kids can get some help with that. Yeah, uh, it would be great if uh, social studies class actually turned into people actually doing like social, social. exercises. That's cool. Yeah. yeah, like people would actually talk to each other mm-hmm. and yeah. kind of go through different situations and like scenarios to kind of see how to handle them, something mm-hmm. like that. Like, I don't know what you'd call it, maybe like a social dynamics class. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's interesting. That's actually, That would be cool. Yeah, I've, I've had this thought even a long time ago or mm-hmm. years ago, let's yeah. say, but what would that look like? Um, yeah, you pretty much get uh, maybe uh, kids in groups, uh, maybe two or three. They'd, um, you'd, <laughs> you probably have to set it up for them because you don't want to just say just talk. Mm-hmm. Maybe you would say that, but that's too random. There's no structure there. Gotcha. So maybe you set up a scenario like. Uh, what I use with, with that is uh, I use this in my ethics classes. You've got you've got a you're you're a pre med student and you've got a big exam uh, coming up. And your friend calls and says, "Sorry, it's okay, it's okay." Yeah, and, and your friend calls and said they just broken up with their uh, boyfriend. Will you come over and talk with me? Mm-hmm. And you, you know, you're just a, you know, you just you're, you're just really focused on the exam. What do you do then? Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, you would make some time to listen to her, but then show her that you have to study for the yeah, exam yeah. too. No, but there's 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 times when you, in order to be with someone else, you're gonna. Have to take a. You're gonna have, um, and that's one of the things I find. Uh, with, uh, I think to some extent, sometimes I think uh, my writing and things like that is a kind of character armor I put on to make myself self from these internal voices, safer from these internal voices. Yeah. As long as they get stuff in the New York Times, I'm a good guy and all this stuff. And and a lot, of, a lot of times I come up with deadlines, and uh, someone needs your help. What do you do then? What do I do? I, and I try to say, oh, fuck it, you know. You know, I, not fuck them, but yeah, no. try to be with the other person to recognize and like you know that that uh, there, there's plenty of times in life when if you're going to be a good friend, going to be a good person, you might have to sacrifice uh, some, uh, some some time, some success, even you know, God forbid, you know, yeah. you know So I, I think that's uh, it's it doesn't there's going to be collisions there. That's yeah. true. You wouldn't want to do it the other way around, right? To sacrifice friends and relationships for success, which is some people definitely. Yeah, like I heard, there's there's this documentary about uh, Mike Wallace, huh. and um, it's naturally it's it's kind of uh, you know the the um, famous uh, newsman. Yeah, it's it's supposed to be a piece of soft criticism, but it, it's it's really not, pretty narcissistic. I think. But anyhow, he talks about he says well, when he was married, he said if he got home and got an, a message from his that an urgent message from his wife and something from the new CNN. Mm-hmm. He picked up the one from CNN first. <laughs> wow. 
because of the need because for some some people there's the need to be successful the need to stand out to be some you know yeah. otherwise yeah. they 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 can't love themselves yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's and, and so sometimes that gets and his 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 kids didn't have good relationships with his kids right you know he's always locked into work yeah. but the work was a defense against some kind of self-hatred yeah you know what i mean Mm -hmm. And so, um, so Gordon, we actually had uh, the existential therapist Emily Von Dersen on, and she was—I'm sure you know of Artie Lang, um, the existential yeah. psychiatrist. Yeah. So he yeah. was actually like that, and so like he was a genius, and like his work is not like. First of all, it's incredibly complicated, right? But it's really. What? Yeah, Lang. Uh huh. Lang, yeah, 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 yeah. It's incredibly dense, right? So, but it's brilliant. Like Lang was so yeah. fucking incisive, man. Such a brilliant thinker. About family, schizophrenic uh, families, and things. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the idea, kind of, I guess, for whatever, in simple, kind of simple terms, but this was sort of like not exactly true. The uh, kind of knock against it was that he hated families, even though he didn't really hate families. He hated bad what? families. Yeah. That was yeah, yeah, people used to say, like, oh, he just hates families. It's not that simple. He hated bad families, and he believed, like, the parents were the causes of schizophrenia, which is not yeah. true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but kind of, but like... Is, yeah. Well, so, right. yeah, so the idea with with him, what I mean, was pretty much telling us, was that, like, obviously, even though he was, like, this really, you know, kind of wildly popular guru, right, and people sort of, like, literally fell at his feet. Oh, that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and she's like, yo, he was such an asshole, man. And she's yeah. like, like, for him, it was so black and white. When it came to his success, he, like, zeroed in on that and loved that and focused on it. And when oh. it had to do with his own sort of kind of narcissistic greed, right, but when it actually came to doing for other people or treating people as they were, right, he did forget it. He didn't even know what that was like. And he would treat all of them like as they were inferior crazy yeah, it's man funny. eric erickson's daughter daughter or son wrote a wrote an article about him about what a bad parent he was yes 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 yeah. was oh, in the atlantic yeah in atlantic years ago yeah and so yeah. Lang's daughter, I think it was his daughter. So she actually also wrote an article about him. It's something like like um, Artie Lang is my father, or living with Artie Lang, something along those lines. And she was talking about how like pretty much his son ended up committing suicide. Or I don't want to. I might be messing this up. It's either he committed suicide, or literally he just was so self destructive that I think he eventually died. One of the two. Um, so she was. Now, I heard stories about him being on stage and not like not refusing to say anything or something like that. Oh wow. Because, yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. 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 So I mean, so, so pretty much, so the idea was that, like, even though obviously he was this brilliant person and highly and wildly successful, he was like, in his personal life was awful, man. Like he was, he was pretty much. I'm, I, I don't know him. Obviously, I didn't know him. I assume, but I'm assuming that he like was pretty unhappy. I can't imagine that success in itself was enough for him. And my understanding is that why he pretty much treated people like shit was because the success was never enough for him. Yeah, it's never enough. Yeah, right. yeah it's like this. This appetite that you can never feel. Uh, uh, Socrates talks about uh, your appetites being out of control as having a barrel with holes in it. Yeah. That nothing, nothing fills you up, right? Just it just keeps run, runs out, and there's 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 that. And so, um, yeah, yeah. So when you say in order to avoid that kind of, we've got to accept our mortality and 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 this kind of addiction to. Um, Success and all that stuff. How 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 powerful that can be, and how 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 uh, how it's not going to work in the end. Those kinds of things. Those aren't, those aren't going to do it. It's relationships that are going to matter. You know, I yeah. think. Yeah. And so we've got to remind ourselves of that you know, like, yeah, I, I, that's that's what I say. I find myself in situations where I've got to do X, Y, and Z for my career, or whatever, and something else is going on, and I'm like, damn, you know, I got to do this, you know. But it's no, so. Yeah. And I mean, I like to think of like just fame or success in general as a nice addition to a person's life. I think it's good to have and it can definitely be a wonderful thing. But if it's the only thing you have, yeah, I can't imagine that a person like that would ever be happy. Or like, I mean, happy. Because well, yeah. yeah, this, this reluctance for people to step out of the limelight. Yeah. They just want to sit back. You see these older pe people that have been famous and how hard it is to step out of that because they feel invisible without it. Yeah. Without being the, yeah, yeah. So that's so that's so we're, what we're talking about here is some of the temptations of to uh, uh, not to listen, not to be with others, you know, and, that, and I think that's that's certainly one of them, this this kind of busyness and, and uh, need to succeed. Yeah. And the weird thing is uh, a lot of people pursuing fame, they're they have that mindset of uh, whether they know it or not is I'll be happy when. I'll be yeah, happy when, that's, right? That's right, yeah. And that means that it's that's only right. when something happens they're going to feel good, and then that thing is fleeting, and then then they'll just want to keep chasing that, right? But they'll never be able to feel happy now or just uh, being with someone or just listening to someone, yeah. right? And that's 
I mean, is that really a life worth living? That's no. one of the things that's come down. Now, I had to keep bringing up the lessons from this bad situation. This my, my friend here, but yeah. man, I realize every day now, a normal day is a, is a freaking miracle. Yeah. When you have all yeah. kinds of bad things happening, and you, like when I was in the immigration court, man, you would not, these truckloads of incredible terror and sadness, you know? I mean, and, and, um, so just realize, I mean, I hate to, I never get into this gratitude journal thing. It's more like a, you know, because I always say, we're going to have a gratitude journal. You have to have a disappointment journal to go with it. But <laughs> I am realizing that, man, when you can sit and have a cup of coffee with your wife or whatever, and that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's really quite miraculous, you know, to be able to share our lives. And uh, so that, that's brought that home off for me. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's so, like anytime crazy things are happening around you, and then you finally have a normal day that used to be just like, uh, again, you know, like it's the, it, yeah. like we're doing the routine thing. But then after a bunch of stuff happens, you realize like that is actually one of the nicest things. Like you're privileged to have something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, even right now, just like us doing this podcast. I mean, there, yeah. there's nothing going on. No. Right. That's right. That's yeah. right. We're just chatting, right? Yeah, it's yeah. in itself. Yeah. That's a blessing too. Imagine yeah. other things that could be happening. There'll be a time when we can't. Yeah. <laughs> We'll be able to do that. Yeah. 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 So and what's so and what's like so dope is the fact that literally like obviously I mean for our audience like Gordon lives like a million miles away from us right and yeah. the fact that we have like this computer right in the setup and then we can have this conversation from like God knows how far away from one another yeah and I feel close to you guys mm -hmm. yeah, it's funny because yeah. yeah you're right so on the one hand it, 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 it does it can bring people together close yeah. yeah. I guess yeah. it's about kind of willingness and interpretation, right? It depends on how you use it. So, I mean, the thing is, like, t these are all tools, right? Obviously, they can be misused like any other tool, but the thing is, they can also be used for good. Like, the That's way. Right. The way I kind of conceptualize social media is that like, oh, so I'll just tell you kind of how I treat it personally. So like, I love social media and I'm on social media all the time, right? So it's like, I it's, I love it, right? So it's very hard for me to put really? my, I love, so I love Twitter, right? So, and I even love Instagram now. I used to hate it. So, but the thing is for me, like all of these are stepping stones. So sometimes what people do is they get trapped in them and that's the only thing that they have. The way I kind of try to use Twitter and Instagram is to literally foster connections, right? So like obviously Gordon, right? You I've met on Twitter. Um, I met Sky on Twitter. I literally met Yolanda on Instagram I found her so like all of these different people and all the yeah, guests yeah. yeah like we all meet each other through social media I think just the problem is like when people get trapped in it and when that becomes their entire life that is a thing a bad thing oh yeah a recent study was shown that people would check it check it in on um uh check in on their devices like uh, over 100 times a day yeah. you know I mean people walk around like that I mean we're so you're missing connections sometimes with the two right yeah, yeah. That, that's where that's where it gets out of. I mean it's like a Skinner bot the uh well, Skinner boxes where you hit the the bar press, right? I mean, for the pigeons, you, right? For, yeah, the pigeons and right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's got that dynamic to it that it, that's also dangerous. But you're right; it can be it can go either way. It can be, yeah, yeah. And, and also for people that, that can't get out of the house and stuff and can't connect. I know people that are sick that really use it a lot to connect. So, yeah. so, so the big point of Nietzsche's was Nietzsche was just really really emphasized the non-binary aspect of life that things aren't either good or bad that they're this mixed mixed thing you know yep. and to recognize that um uh, i think was important yeah, and I think you were kind of saying something along those lines earlier when you mentioned, when you were talking again about the student, I thought that was a really kind of important conversation, where you were trying to get him to see another perspective. And it's kind of very sort of Taoist, right? So the idea is there are like millions of perspectives around the world. And so we only really tap, most of the time, not always, but we only most of the time tap into that one perspective of us, right? Like this is what's going on in my mind. This is my interpretation of myself, of the other person, of the world around me, and I know I'm right. So, but the thing is like, I mean, to some extent, sure, you're probably right i mean whatever obviously you're not like unless you're dissociated from reality but the idea is that the sort of other perspectives actually provide a bigger picture of the whole view right of um kind of like what's going on obviously not only with you but kind of the world around you so the idea is a lot of times we close ourselves off to those other perspectives like we were talking about earlier like with empathy a lot of times people are just like nope i'm right oh for sure yeah 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 and on, and this year and see, see the stories we're telling ourselves as interpretations not as facts right, right. A lot of time we we act as though I wish this is what this is what's happening. Well, that's an interpretation, mm -hmm. you know. 
And, yeah. and I'm curious, Gore, what do you think about, um, so I'm sure you know, like the pragmatists and William James, like he had this view that pretty much like, pretty much the truth is evasive, right? He's like, look, you'll get to it to some extent, but you're never going to really know the full story. So for him, like acting was more important. He's like, just, just go and live, like go and live your fucking life. Like stop it. Stop like just sitting there and thinking and sort of ruminating and trying to figure things out. Like there's a point for that and that's fine. But he's like, eventually you have to actually go and make decisions and you have to take responsibility. What do you think about that? Well, I think James James is amazing. I mean, you know, just an incredible writer. I mean, his two volumes on psychology, uh, volumes on psychology, and he was depressed for a couple of years. Yes, I mean, yeah. in bed. I mean, crippled with depression. You know, so uh, I always talk about this is probably a rejection, but how important it is to be able to reach through your pain, and then he did it. You know, so so his, so his idea is when you when when you can't. Um, uh, say, for example, uh, you, you can't decide upon the truth of something on an empirical or logical basis. The, the test is uh, how is it is it how practical is it? Does it work? Uh -huh. Right. So that's one of the ways. You know, for example, some people look at religion as okay. There's no no objective proof either way, but has it made people better or worse? Well, it's just dubious. But yeah. So yeah, yeah. So uh, James is uh, James James is great there. He's amazing. Yeah. yeah, definitely. I noticed you uh, mentioned Jiddu Krishnamurti in the article we yeah. wrote. Um, yeah. How did you first uh, get introduced to him, actually? Like I just, somebody sent me a bunch of his essays at one point. You know, and I haven't done a systematic study of them, uh, but uh, I, I liked them, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. he, he had an interesting way with words. Uh, like uh, some of the people that I've listened to before, like at least like audio lectures, like uh -huh. uh, Alan Watts. Yeah. Um, Let's leave it at Alan Watson. <laughs> <laughs> All those guys. Yeah. But he would mention like uh, Christian Woody in there. Uh, no, he wouldn't. Oh, he, wouldn't oh, he doesn't do no. okay. But like, uh, actually, I wanted to mention the, um, I think I have it here. Yeah, so there was this quote you had from uh, Krishnamurti. I just wanted to read it. I thought it was a really good quote. Mm -hmm. uh, he said, uh, do you listen with your projections, through your projection, through your ambitions, desires, fears, anxieties? Through hearing only what you want to hear, only what will be satisfactory, what will gratify, what will give comfort, what will for the moment alleviate your suffering. If you listen through the screen of your desires, then you obviously listen to your own voice. You're mm -hmm. listening to your own desires, which is, of course, to say you aren't listening at all. Yeah. So I love that. Yeah. Yeah, it's really good, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, what's interesting uh, with that is like, what's what's interesting about the way he put it? Because I mean, we already talked about this earlier in the conversation, which is you know you have to get out of your own way. You, you don't want to be uh, listening through your projections. That's the ideal, right? right? So, but what I one thing I like about uh, speakers like um, Krishnamurti and other speakers as well is, depending on how certain things are phrased, that might actually resonate with someone in a way where okay. they actually really get it like what's being said yeah like i wanted to even say this before like gordon when you said um when you're actually listening to somebody you're you're letting them into your world no, or yeah you're letting them into your world yeah that that's some something about that actually kind of um i don't know how to put this like it's like i had like my eyes twinkled or something like that for a second i was like mm -hmm. oh that's an interesting way to put that because then yeah like even in interactions with other people, I did notice that when I fully listen to them, there there is something where I'm actually like fully paying attention to them. Like if it's somebody new, some sometimes I've noticed I've had a tendency also if I'm meeting somebody new, um, sometimes I have this thing of like whoever I already know that's there, I might pay more attention to them, and that yeah. only the times when I fully listen to that new person is when we start to then actually build some kind of rapport and there's yeah. something going on there. Um, so something about the way you worded that resonated with me. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, Nietzsche said the truth is a mobile army of metaphors, and it's amazing how how the right metaphor will do the trick, right? Yeah. Or, you know, how, how the, you know, the same idea expressed differently. Well, that's that's why you know these great thinkers and these great writers are, I think, so important where they can open up new vistas in that sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, and yeah, yeah. And for Nietzsche, the truth was pretty much a construction, right? It was pretty much all mental. Well, it was for, for Nietzsche, uh, uh, yeah, there wasn't any objective truth, right. so to speak. But they had all uh, it was a matter of multiplying all these perspectives. But uh, he he thought of um, discussions or debates as these different different um, 
different descriptions and whatever description wins out in the end is the truth right. you know mm-hmm. uh, that's what the, i think it's a great metaphor uh truth yeah. is a mobile army of metaphors with these fighting metaphors like you know now we see it's like you know is, is the is the is the brain just a, is it just a bunch of chemicals or that kind of has one metaphor right used to be the chemical imbalance metaphor was the yeah. the rain mm-hmm. metaphor um which there's, there's a point i wanted to bring up uh, uh maybe it's so unrelated but during my Freud class i was reading about this um this guy from South Africa, Stoll or Stoll, he's a he's a neuroscientist and a psychoanalyst. He was talking about um that uh, he's and he went through psychoanalysis. His his brother had a terrible injury. And he went through psychoanalysis and it helped him as a kid. And uh, so he he started treating people with all these organic disease diseases like schizophrenia that you know, the scientific community thinks is all organic. And he says, and the people are just dismissed as we'll just take their meds, right? And he started doing psychoanalysis with them, and uh, not not with the idea of curing them, but uh, just to, to improve their lives. And he talks about how meaningful that was for these people. That everyone ignored their inner lives, their delusions, and everything. And this guy sat down and was and to be able to unpack um to be able to share their inner lives, what was going on with them. Nobody did that with them because they just said, "Well, that's you have an organic problem." So this distinction between the kind of organic causes and the and meanings, you know. Yeah. And he said they felt very comforted, but very they felt less alone. Yeah. You know, and uh, um, uh, I, I think, that, like you said with psychiatrists, they're oh, we'll just we'll just titrate these chemicals. Yeah. Right. When the people, so the different distinction between cause and meaning, I think, is really important. That even if you can talk about the cause of some of your ideas, it doesn't yeah. doesn't yeah. negate the the importance of discussing the meaning. You know, and um, so I, I thought it was really really revelatory. Uh, uh, study, study, it's a whole. It's a whole. It's got a whole association of psychoanalysts that are neuroscientists at the same time, and you know. Yeah. Uh, and what's so cool, I remember, is about Lang. Um, so I don't agree with his conception to the extent, or pretty much where he takes yeah, it. So, yeah. but the way he kind of conceptualized schizophrenia was um, spiritually. So he thought that it was like um, kind of like the spiritual journey that the person was going through, and kind of like these visions were sort of messages, you know, from this sort of other realm, right? Um, so I definitely don't agree with that. But the way I kind of see it is that when it comes to, let's say, when it comes to any form of mental illness, it doesn't exist in a vacuum. That yes, it's partially organic, but yeah, the, yeah right. But the, the conception the images the visions right just like with like near-death experiences right they come from somewhere and they're about something yeah. and so what i find a lot of times like with um people i've treated before who are like either schizoaffective or had schizophrenia i mean the idea is that the voices themselves they're not just voices they're not like incoherent it, they make sense in the proper context yeah, yeah. yeah so yep yeah, so if you kind of go back to like the person's childhood or their relationships with their family, the voices actually are pretty much replicas. Even if it's in a different voice, it's a replica of their relationship with their dad, with their mom, siblings, yeah. you name it, right? So if it's like um, if somebody was even like abused by, uh, uh, sometimes even this happens with siblings, right? Sometimes the voice could be of like the person's abuser. And even though the voice is yeah. like of something silly, like, I don't know, like it's like Puff Daddy or something, because I've had that before. Somebody's like, it's like Puff Daddy's voice in my head, right? But the the, the actual words, what that person, what the kind of Voice yeah, there's, thing, there's a reason that those the, those words are not others, right? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, so yeah. So I mean, so the idea to sort of to reduce it to just chemicals, it's it's erroneous and it doesn't make sense because but it's confusing too because yeah. many people don't want to think about their lives. Yeah. It's quick, you know, and, and the, but the way they mess around with them. I mean, I I know I have a one kid I'm training. He must be on nine different meds, medications. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's r- ridiculous. You can't. I mean, incredible. You know, just. Oh, we'll try this. That's not working. A lot of time, the drug doesn't work. So they up the dose. Yeah, you know, okay. actually, you know, that I don't want to get into that stuff, but I find some of that that, that um, the medicalization of experience really, really uh, disturbing. Yeah. Oh, did you did you ever see or um, I guess because it was in the film Mad to Be Normal, which is about Artie Lang's life. But did you like ever hear the story of how he um, so he went into like this hospital and how he reacted to the person who was like um, confined pretty much to it was a, it was a ward, but it was like one of those like padded rooms. Like they pretty much kept her there because she was like extremely psychotic. Did you ever hear that story? How he dealt no. with her? Oh my god! So this is incredible. So like he goes to the hospital. Yeah. So he goes to this hospital, right? So and like so there's like this really sort of um really psychotic patient right so she's super out of control and like violent if you ever tried to like literally come up to her like she would literally try to like attack you right so they so the idea was that like oh well she's like beyond help and beyond hope right so lang decides because like he's this grandiose fucking person he's like i'm gonna go and help her and they're like dude like you're not what do you you can't this is not gonna work and he's like just just give me a chance right so he kind of walks in right of course she kind of becomes aggressive right and then they're like no we can't let you stay here he's like just let me stay here 
So it's like, fine, you know, but like, we want you to know that this is literally at your own discretion. He says, fine, I understand, right? So he comes in, he starts talking to her. Oh, and she's mute too. So she's nothing, like no words, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so literally. So he comes in and he starts talking to her. Obviously, this goes nowhere, right? And then he takes out a cigarette. He lights the cigarette. He's like, oh, do you smoke? Still nothing, right? She's not even looking at him or making eye contact. So then he starts talking about like his life and he starts like opening up about, I forgot exactly what he said, but certain details about like what kind of like his negative experiences were with something. I don't even remember. So, and then she ended up literally getting undressed, like super random, right? So she just gets fully naked. Lang looks at her and he's like, huh, okay. He gets naked. He literally takes off his shirt, takes off his pants, right? So they're sitting there naked, right? Then she starts rocking back and forth. Then Lang starts rocking back and forth. And then literally she looks at him and she's like, can I have a cigarette? And he's like, yeah. And then they like actually start talking. Yeah. Wild, wild story. Like, so he got on her level. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty fascinating, yeah. Yeah. Oh, and they hated him. Like, they were like, um, so, so, and so when they, like, when he came out of the, out of, like, yeah, the, the room, oh, they, they ripped him apart. They're like, we're going to have your license revoked. Yeah, like, this is unethical, yeah. unprofessional. Right. Yeah, uh-huh. So they really gave it to him for that. Yeah. yeah, but there was, I mean, I don't think, like, it went anywhere deeper than that, but just the fact that he even had, like, that small connection with this person who that literally, connection. yeah, couldn't connect with yeah. any other human being, I thought that was still incredible. That's beautiful. That's a beautiful story. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes, by the way, like, people do that with kids, like, with kids who struggle with autism. So if, like, they kind of throw tantrums or they kind of, like, you know, sort of, like, squiggle, what's the word? Um, like, they wiggle around on the floor, like, the yeah. sort of the behavior therapist, they'll actually go and mimic them, right, to kind of calm them down and to let them the know that it's... Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, it's Heinz Cohort, though. The, the mirroring idea, yeah. 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 And so, yeah, so the idea is essentially like, so you pretty much let the kid know that what you're doing makes sense. That it's not that you're being... Oh, I see. Because you're maybe... Because you're doing the same thing they're doing, they're, 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 the kid's kind of thinking, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, so the idea yeah. is, right, with mirroring, you're pretty much, you're letting the person know that your feelings are okay. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. That's uh -huh. So it's, it's pretty cool kind of like how we communicate with each other. Sometimes it's listening, which is obviously wonderful. And then sometimes it's on these kind of like, um, I guess, more sort of subtle kind of like behaviors, right? Where you don't really understand why the person is doing what they're doing, but whoever's on the, on the receiving end, like the recipient is actually picking up on the message. So it's like we kind of give... And that you're trying to understand. Yes. Yeah, you're trying to understand too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. So Gordon, what's it been like with your students? Like how do you feel like, what are sort of, I guess, your ways of connecting with them? Oh, I spent a lot. Of time. I just I love them, man. A lot of most of them. Mm -hmm. I hear you. <laughs> I spent I spent a, a enormous amount. I have office hours at night because I coach too. Because I I coach. So I have a lot of football players in my classes, and uh, so it's just been um, that's I'm retire, retiring this year uh, from teaching, and um, oh. I, I worry about that because they means they mean so much to me. And as again, I think I mentioned this before one other time, but uh, to be let into something when people let you into their lives, it's quite an honor. It's quite a, it's quite a, it's a, something really special. I used to think I'm kind of some hero because I spent all this time with people, and then I realized, man, they're letting you into their lives, and it's just a bit to share our lives together. And I've got quite a few students from international backgrounds, some pretty poor in rough places, and it's just been a beautiful to. Uh, I mean, I love them. I just love them, you know, and uh, and, and, and joke with them and. Got to be careful sometimes because I'm always cursing and shit. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel you. <laughs> <laughs> that, that relatedness is. Um, yeah. <clears throat> and this great Freud scholar, uh, Philip Reef, who was my mentor, wrote The Mind of the Moralist, all these. Uh, he was my mentor, and, he's, and um, he, he told me you, uh, most professors are too narcissistic to be the parental figures that they need to be because they're, all they care about is the next forgettable article. Yeah. Right, right in the next article, they're on their, you know, their CV and everything. And uh, he says, if you're going to do this, you've got to want to really want to be a teacher. And so a lot of time when I do meet students that want to go into academia, I tell them it's about, you know, being a teacher, you know, being, being there for people. And so that's that. And it was really great for me to give me that message when I was in graduate school. You know, we were being pushed to be very, you know, it's, you know publish this and do this and do that. And he says, he says, you smell like ambition. You better think about this. You know, you're going to have to, you're going to, you know, oh, shit. Mm -hmm. And what's so cool about like like my field? So the thing is, like a long time ago, as I'm sure you know, Gordon, um, for like years, right? So psychoanalysis, you know, kind of psychiatry, psychology was sort of merged. So you pretty much needed a doctor to be a therapist. Like that's just kind yeah. of the standard, yeah. right? So oh, I yeah. I love that that's not the case anymore. Like I have a master's degree. I don't have a PhD. I don't look. I love research in the sense of like I like consuming it. I don't want to do it. I don't want to publish. Not in that respect. I don't want to like publish in academic journals. And I definitely don't want to be a researcher. And I definitely don't want to have a lab. These things that's are. Not of course, you're on social media too. Yeah. 
that's true. So the point is like when um so what I love is that the kind of for us like the, when they separated the fields like with social work, uh, mental health counseling, yeah. and obviously psychiatry, psychology. What was so cool is that so the rest of us who literally just wanted to be clinicians and therapists who wanted to focus on that, like we can have training on our own, right, without having going into the research. Like and again, I'm just like not a knock on anybody who wants to do research. I like research, but for me, right, I just it's I feel like a lot of times like you almost people, said right for me right now. You almost said. <laughs> Now is important. That's true. You know, it's my change. You might want to write other stuff. There's other ways. Where you don't have to just write for academic journals if you're writing. No, most you definitely. Know. But like, so yeah, you're right. So I, because I, and I definitely do have a blog, right? But the idea is like, yeah. You, yeah. So, but the idea is like, if you're in a doctoral program, like you have to publish research. So it's like you have yeah. to like you have to deep knowledge of statistics, and then obviously on top of that, you have to do research. And here's the thing: for the most part, there are no grand discoveries in research, right? They, they pretty much they take like yeah, it's pretty much like proof or like not much disproof but pretty much support for like you know kind of prominent theories and that's like you know kind of like uh, I don't know whatever perfectionism in OCD like everybody knows perfectionism as a part of OCD like it's okay you, yeah, you need a, like you need more research on that yeah. and so which is again cool I, I don't want to knock any of these people but my point is that I really love that they separated the two because now like for us we can literally go be clinicians without having to think like oh my god I have to now get through this doctoral program I have to yeah. worry about getting published I have to worry about my lab I have to worry about all of these different things and now really focus on the clients yeah so. yeah I agree. although that can burn you out after a while too it's a lot of you're sucking in a lot of pain right that's true yeah. you know yeah so that's uh, it's a lot of uh it's a lot of pain there you deal with yeah and yeah. What, what's it like for you as a football coach are you you are a football coach too right football and a boxing coach yeah. oh cool so uh, yeah we don't really we haven't really talked much about the football aspect how's that like what's it like being a football coach uh i'm really i'm very, I, I i like it i mean it's a lot of so again, a lot of connections there, and uh, um, football is a lot of standard around in football, and it's usually pretty, and it's pretty corporate, you know, in the sense of um, uh, the whole the whole structure of football. And so that, that kind of, that's quite different than boxing. But uh, uh, again, uh, and, and I'm just a maniac about technique and boxing and football. I'm really bad at football strategy. I coached at Yale. I couldn't read defenses. <laughs> I almost lost the lost game because of that one time. But uh, for us, at, uh, uh, but I'm I'm pretty good at te teaching uh, a technique, and uh, I, I enjoy that because I feel like uh, uh, with, with uh, and some of the the whether it be in athletics or anything else, people want to learn new stuff all the time. You know, a lot of time is when they get to college, they're playing in college, they, they kind of think, well, you know, uh, I learned all I can learn. And you try to, so it's always trying to teach them something new. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so cool. Are you going to watch I the super receivers? So I do a lot. I make them learn. I throw like try to throw 100 balls at them a, a day with both hands. And they learn to catch with one hand. Uh, mm -hmm. Have them doing finger exercises. And instead of, I said, you don't need a fucking bench press. 350 pounds in order to be a wide receiver, you need to be able to catch. Mm -hmm. So it's, make, let's make a map of where you're missing the ball. Mm -hmm. And we throw to that spot all the time. You know, so. Yeah. Are you so, watching the Super Bowl today? Well, is there a Super Bowl? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm in some other place right now. Going on. But it should be a great game. Yeah, yeah it, it, should it is be good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is. It's, uh, really should be a, it's a great, should be a great matchup. I think yeah. it's Chiefs and 49ers today, yeah, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. who, are, who, who do you have? Oh, no, it's going to be San Fran. I think San Fran's going to win. They have the defense. Okay. They have the defense and running. Yeah. And usually... He's, he's, he's beautiful to watch, isn't he? Yeah. I mean, because he looks like such a... He looks like he's 18 years old. Wait, who are we and, talking about? Mahomes? Oh, Mahomes. Yeah, man. Mahomes is yeah, a yeah, he's wonderful yeah. player. Just the way his body... I like to look at his body his body language and his... Uh, you know, he, he, just, he just seems so young and to be, he's jumping, he's running around like he's in a high school football game. You know, it's beautiful. That, that's, so the beauty of that, so I think part of the justification of athletics is, is just the sheer beauty of it, you know. Yeah, to see these, you know, uh, and uh, that, that's a big part of me is just, man, that's, that's beautiful. You know? And yeah. also, and also you get to pretty much kind of watch them kind of grow up, right? The kids that you coach, which is yeah. really cool. Yeah, yeah. You know? And I stay in touch with them course of like, like some of them 20 years now and see what's turned out and stuff and uh and the affiliation men need affiliation it's harder for men to like i see women walking around in terms of listening and stuff being close uh women of mine you see these groups of women walking around they have kind of a walking club you know mm -hmm. i think it's a lot easier for women to maintain affiliations than it is for men mm -hmm. where it's the kind of affiliations that, that that develop on a team or in, in the army or whatever uh, uh stick with people but it's hard, hard men tend to isolate themselves more don't you think 
Yeah, no, most definitely. So dudes are like the hardest, straight men are the hardest people to treat. So, I mean, which is like, look, they come in to talk about things that I like to talk about, like football and stuff. I'm like, that's yeah. great. But and like when you kind of try to guide them into talking about their feelings and their experiences, they're like, oh, no, nah, man, that's all good. Like that ah, life is I whatever. Know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm coming to therapy, but everything's everything's great. Everything is fine. Right, right, right. It's like, no, 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 just coming into chat. Just so like, you know, wait, man. So how are like your, well, I had a guy who every single week, the first question he would ask me, uh, ask me was like, literally, oh, so how are your bucks doing? I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, now he's going to get me to talk about that, the bucks. But, but that's his, that's his way of like getting close to you. Yeah, most yeah. definitely. And there's, yeah, no, uh, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, it's like, that's it's, the it's, language he's using. They're kind of like, okay, I'm going to come here. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like, don't, and it's also like, please don't come too near me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's interesting, yeah. Yeah. Man, okay, wow. This has been such a great show, Gordon. I'm going to talk with you. It's so, yeah, it's, sorry it's, about the mess up. I was, but I knew I knew you were going to come. come, come <laughs> I knew I'd be getting some. So it, <laughs> no, I mean, here's the thing. Like, for next time, what we could just do is, like, just to create a plan. So if you do want, like, a message in advance, I could just, uh, me or Alan can obviously just. 100%. Yeah, shoot your text. Yeah, because I got, I got a lot of stuff going on in school and. You know, coaching and all this stuff. So it, just a, a little tap on the shoulder. Yeah. And this, again, this is a very tumultuous time. But yeah. It's, and it's, it's a family member that's dying. And, and, uh, so, I hear you. Uh, yeah. yeah. So all right, brothers. Any, any kind of final words of wisdom on listening? Oh, fucking final words. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Gordon. Spot. Sum it up. Any <laughs> 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 final words? Final words of wisdom. I don't know, man. I don't know. No, I don't have any final words of wisdom. I wish I did. Well, I wish. When I pack this, I get. Oh, how about this? Talks, I'll be going along, giving a really good talk, and, <laughs> and I just go. That's it. You know? <laughs> I'm gone. And so it goes. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, I guess I do have a question then for you. So, in terms of like books, right? Do you have anything in the works? Any new works? Yeah, I'm probably gonna write, write another book. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking. I'm thinking about it. Yeah. Ooh, what topic? What topic or topics? Do you have some of the ex- they want me to do a boxing. They want everyone. I get some pressure to do a boxing book, but mm-hmm. um, boxing people don't read boxing books. You know, they really don't. I mean, especially in, in Britain, they do, but not so much in America. Mm. You know, Britain, oh, so, oh um, just FYI, you should check out Glenn Sharp's book, Punching from the uh, Shadows. Glenn's book was pretty. Oh, good. he's my buddy. Yeah. Uh huh. I say you know you. Oh, okay. okay. This is bu- one of the best boxing books I've ever read. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's awesome. Beautiful, it's beautiful voice. Yeah, Glenn's great, man. Glenn's oh, do, do you know that we had him on the podcast last month? No, no. Oh, I mean, yeah, man. Yeah, oh, he's such an awesome guy. Such an awesome guy. Oh, he's guy. a really good guy. Mm-hmm. Got a good heart, man. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a great book. Yeah, yeah, that's that, that's wonderful. Oh, yeah. cool. I'll let him know we gave him a shout-out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I review a lot of boxing books, and I, I would say that's up there the best I've ever read. Yeah. Yeah, Sonics, know. you know, most authentic voice and uh, just just beautiful and uh, uh, some, some, something you about his dad too was amazing. You know, yeah, yeah, cool, yeah. cool. Do you have any final words of wisdom? Uh, let me think. Final, final final words of wisdom is that yes, empathizing with another person doesn't have to hurt. That's it. Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. Does we should still do it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Alan. All right, uh, all right, Gordon. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much for coming on again, man. Sorry about the. It's, it's all good. No, it's okay. Oh. See you next time. Hey, we'll be in touch, man. Wow, that was that was awesome. That was a dope episode. Gordon's that was cool. a literally dope episode. So, guys, we're, we're gonna include where to follow Gordon in our description, and also a link to the article that we were talking about. <laughs> and if you want to follow us. Uh, you can follow us at Seize the Moment Podcast on Facebook and on Instagram and at fa- uh, <clears throat> Seize underscore podcast on Twitter. Uh, like and subscribe. Hit the bell. Hit the bell. And also, <laughs> and also check us out on O4L online. So we're under the podcast or, yeah, under the podcast. Where is it? Shows. So I think we're under the show section, but it could be under a podcast section now. Also, the link to that will be in the description. Yeah. See you guys next time.